please stand for an Advent reading and the reading of God's word. The fourth candle is the candle of love. God is distressed by the reality of death and pain, mourning and suffering. This is not the world that Jesus and his Father created, and it grieves him. But God is always in control, and his plan is to work all things together for those who love him and are called by him. The very reason that Jesus had to come was to begin the work of making all things new. The work of restoration applies to all of creation, but we see it most personally in the way Jesus restores sinners to a right relationship with God. God has called us out of death and restored us to new life because of his great love and compassion toward us. Ephesians 2, four through seven says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with us, uh, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Please join me for the reading of God's word in 1 John 4 through 10. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. All right. Thanks be to God for the beauty and power of his word and the Christmas season. I love it. How's everybody doing? Oh man, I, I, I can't believe we're, this is week four of Advent. Sometimes we don't even have enough weeks coming out of Thanksgiving, depending on how the weeks kind of shake out to get us all the way to Christmas and do all the things that we, that we wanna do. But we are in week four. Uh, and you know, when you talk about love, which is uh, our, you know, where we are this morning, and you can kind of get that tempo, even from the scripture and the Advent reading, um, that, uh, you know, it's such a, it's a word that I feel like we understand uh, as Americans in the West and as human beings, uh, we know it, but so much of that word is, is loaded because it's, there's, you know, there's all different kinds of ways that we can think about love. I mean, you can, you know, I love my wife, uh, which is a, is, is a certain kind of love. I love my kids um, and I love pizza. Uh, and it just kind of gets, there's a, there's a, you know, a fracture in the way that we, we look at it and the way that we think about it. And in so many ways, um, you know, when we think about the love of Jesus, there, the, the beauty of scripture, and I think the beauty of this season and landing and moving all the way from, from hope to peace to joy and to love, I think is the, bringing clarity and a depth to, to Christ's love and, and who he is, because it's the thing that changes us. Now his actions and what he did on the cross do change us, but his love is the thing that rectifies something that everybody on planet earth needs. And the apostle Paul, he leverages that um, all through scripture, but in 1 Corinthians, it's a, it's a, it's a passage that if, it, if you've been to, to, to weddings that people cry when they read it, you know, the love chapter, and you read it and it's two people looking at each other adoringly, but the apostle Paul was trying to get a bunch of dirtbags to quit being mean to each other in the church of Corinth. You know, we use it in a wedding, but he's really trying to level set them and talk specifically about a particular kind of love. 
And what the Apostle Paul was very good at is not telling people what to do, but pointing them to Jesus and saying, there's no way you're going to be able to do that. But like he says in Colossians, since you've been raised with Christ, you can do these things. It's possible for you if you attach yourself. The more that you move towards being the image bearers that you are as your new creations in Christ, the more the ability in you as human beings on this side of heaven that you have to express a different kind of love. And in 1 Corinthians, uh, he begins talking about what it would look like with the absence of love, to do all the things that we do in church, to be very spiritual people that act like we know what we're doing and we are very moral and we, um, you know, we, we, we understand and know scripture and the Bible, but without love, what it would look like. And he says this, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. He says he's a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. He's using a music analogy. And I love that because I dig music. I think it's amazing. Now I'm not a drummer. So the resounding gong or a clanging cymbal, the only thing that I think about is more cowbell. Um, and you know, Bruce Dickinson, sorry if you've not watched it. Um, you'll have to look that up at SNL. Will Ferrell again, I don't know how he's made it into Christmas again, but Elf is on every five minutes. So, um, but if I speak it in the tongues of men and angels, but don't have love, I'm like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. What's he saying? He's saying without it, it, none of the other stuff makes sense. In fact, doing these things, doing church stuff, and he's gonna continue in this passage, he's gonna talk about the things that are the resounding gongs and the clanging cymbals the things that really take us off of our, the, the, the base level of the love that the Apostle Paul is talking about. He's saying, if you do, if you execute life, I don't care how good you do it. I don't care how good you do church. If it's absent of this type of love, this depth of love that he's talking about, then it's, it's just noise. Interactions with human beings, the way that we, the way that we work, the way that we are interacting in our families, the way that we go to school, the way that we do church, he's saying it's, it doesn't make sense. In fact, it's, and, and he's using a term, it's like this, he, that they would understand as an, something that's very irritating. So I started thinking about it. You know, when, years ago, I was, uh, I was asked to lead worship at this evening conference somewhere down in, in, in town. Um, so I put together a, a small band, um, I think Mike Berry was in that band. Um, and then I had a last minute bass player. Now that is not always a great thing. David Stutter's here somewhere, you know, you know, having to come in and play bass last minute because you know when your bass is one of those things that if it's not right, it, it, it's exposed. Like it's like everything can be going good, everybody playing beautifully, but if the bass player <laughs> doesn't play right, it's like, it's like everybody, people won't know quite what's wrong if you're not a music person. The people that know music like, man, bass player is bad. Um, it's just so evident. It makes, you, it makes you a little nauseous. Your stomach hurts a little bit when it's off. It's just bad. Um, <laughs> the person that came in and played bass was off. And instead of doing what they should have done, uh, they just powered through. Um, and it felt like somebody was literally, I was leading worship, trying, like somebody was punching me in the back of the head. Um, it was so irritating and so awful and embarrassing. Like everything about it was like, and I wanted to say, I'm not really singing off key. It's just everything is getting destroyed right now by my bass player behind me. 
Um, and Gerald would tell you, and I'll let Gerald shout it out. What do you do when, you're, when you don't know where you are? What's your, what, you, what should you do as a musician? Go back to the root note. So if you're in the key of C, and I'll, I, wanna, I wanna demonstrate this for you. If you're in the key of C and you don't know where you are when you're playing music, if you don't go back to the root note and you just power through and you're just even a half step off, like just scale down, I'm gonna show you what I'm talking about on, on the keys. I tried to make my daughter do this because I know she would have done it way better than I would have. But if you're in the key of C, C, let's get into middle C here. So we're in C. <laughs> Do a little lounge music. Um, if you're in C and you're playing, can you, you can hear it out there, right? Good, C. If you're in C and you're playing and you're walking up the scale, the root note, I'm in C, which you know, if, if the, the triad for C is C, E, and G. We have a little music lesson. Sounds nice, right? It's the most wonderful key of all, right? That's great. C. And then if you're, if you're playing in the scale, it's really easy on the keyboard because it's all lined up, it's linear, it's different on guitar. Very nice, right? There's your scale all the way up. You know, you're going all the way from C all the way back, right? But if you're doing the, if you're on the scale and somebody's playing and you miss a note. Oh man. It's like, you know right away, don't you? Like there's no, there's no humans. It doesn't, you don't, no matter where you are, you know, I mean, it's just killing you, you know? You're just there and it's, it's like, you just want them to get back. And then when they get back, it's, you're so happy that they're back in, in the zone. And that's what the bass player was doing. He's punching me in the back of the head with flat notes and sharp notes when he should have been right there in the scale. Or going back to the root note and just holding it out. Keyboard players, when they get lost, it's like, man, I'm just gonna lay down this note right here, wait till the next you know, measure comes back around and then we'll get back in. That's when you know, and then people are like, man, worship was great today. And the keyboard player was totally lost, but they went back to the root note, so nobody knew. Um, it, it's, it's what the Apostle Paul's saying. He's saying without, he's saying love is the root note. It is what we need. Nothing, everything else, without it, it doesn't, we don't have an anchor to everything that we do. We don't have something, and it's the thing that, that creates, it's what we know as human beings. When somebody truly walks in a room with love, when somebody interacts with us with love, it changes the dynamic. It colors everything that we do in the most beautiful way. And without it, it's just noise. Now, it's not just noise, it's irritating noise. It's noise that the, the, the and, and with music, it's your, uh, it's your auditory cortex. And my wife's speech there, is that right? Your auditory cortex? Is that the one that kind of processes pitch? Auditory cortex. And then your, your, your frontal cortex is processing these notes. And it's a miracle that you know when it's bad. The Apostle Paul's trying to get them on this, the, the page. He's trying to create, he's not, he doesn't want you to just have this generalized idea of what love is and think, oh, it's just love. You know, I love this, I love that. There's lots of things I love. I love burritos, I love TV. You know, he wants you to get down to the base level. He's, he's speaking using specific words as he's talking about love. And he's telling, he's, he's going through in this, he's got the positive things that are in the scale. In verse two, he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can't fathom all mysteries, it doesn't matter what you're playing. Like if I know it all, if I have all knowledge, 
If I have a faith that can move mountains, I believe, but I don't have love, I have nothing. I mean, he's very clear. He's not, he's not saying maybe. He's saying you will not have anything. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. What's he saying? Doing all of those things for self-righteous reasons, to make ourselves feel like we're doing the right religious thing. He's saying, if you don't have love, if there's no, if it's not genuine in its love, then, then we don't have anything. He goes on and he says, okay, here's some things that are in the scale. You know, C, here's, here's an E in there. E belongs in the scale of C, love is patient. G, G belongs in the scale of C, love is kind. He says, those things, being patient and being kind, when he's, he's describing, he's trying to get down to the depth of what love is. And I thought about those things, like for me in my own household, Derek, are you patient? You know, Derek, are you kind? Kindness is something we've talked about, you know, in our marriage, 28 years, um, that not always there. We, we are great communicators in our marriage. But kindness, the, the way that we treat, the tempo and the way that we treat each other. So I look at these and I'm like, okay, I've got some, some sour, sour notes. And then he goes on the negative side. He doesn't envy because envy is not in the scale of love, right? Envy doesn't work. It doesn't boast. Boasting, being proud, he keeps going. He says, look, here's, here's all the sour notes. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. I'm not in this because I want something back. I'm not, I'm not doing the things that I'm doing, the nice things that I'm doing for you, the beautiful and wonderful flowers that I brought you. I'm not doing these things because I'm expecting something in return. Love is not easily angered. Anybody got an anger problem? I do. It keeps no record of wrongs. Yeah, somebody just went, Phew. I mean, we do that, don't we? One, because we wanna justify our own behavior. Like we get into a, a, you know, some sort of conversation with a friend or with a spouse or we're in some sort of relationship. Knowing somebody's history and what they've done helps us when we stumble, right? You know, I've, I've made a mistake. And then I'm like, but you, do you remember Tuesday, 2008, the day? Remember what happened? We were on a boat with all of our friends, and, you know. <laughs> we do it. But love, Paul's saying sour note, and we get it. We're like, man, that is, a, that is a clanging one, you know. That is the bass player punching you in the back of the head, the record of wrongs. He keeps going. He says, it doesn't delight in evil. And we had this conversation this week about what, what that means, like the idea of delighting in evil. And I think none of us are like, you know, we see, you know, you know, the exorcist on TV. We're like, woo, that's awesome. I wish life was like that. I mean, that's, but I think it's like, do we delight in somebody's failure? Because we, we are worried that they're gonna get more than us. You know, do we think, you know, this person's kid got this and this person's kid got this and this person's kid got this and I'm so glad that they didn't get it because I, I, I wouldn't even wanna walk in their house because my child didn't, didn't, didn't make that team and they made it and they don't make it and we're like, ooh, good thing they didn't make it, you know. I feel kind of bad, but that would be so tough for Timmy, you know. That's delighting and evil, man, I'm telling you. But what does love do? It protects 
It always trusts. That is a crazy thought because I think in the world that we live in, it's, it's hard to get to that place. Do we always, always trust? Do we go in assuming the best of human beings? And the Apostle Paul's getting to the, the base level. And this is, this is almost feeling impossible. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails, right? Now the two of you face one another, we're going to exchange the rings. No, but you, you understand, the Apostle Paul's really trying to get down to the, to the base level. And there's, there's several types of loves that we see um, you know, explained in, kind of in, in the framework. C.S. Lewis in, in his book, and I, I recommend it, The Four Loves, he, he, he describes these. Eros, romantic love, I'll go through them really quick. If you're a note taker, I'm not gonna stay up here long. Romantic love is Eros. Philos, you know, if you think about Philippi, Friendship, love, brotherly love, you know, shoulder to shoulder, fighting together, the type of bond that you get with friends. Storge, a love that's more, that we just have it. We, something that we, that we love, something that's born in, a familial love or um, a parental love. But the one that we see here and the one that we read in Ephesians, the one that we see when, we, when we're talking about God, the one that we read in 1 John is one called agape. And it's actually just a biblical, it's kind of reserved and it's this godly love. And the essence of it, agape, is a love that exists regardless of changing circumstances. Now, if we just said that all by itself, we'd be like, okay, that's, that's it. It's a sturdy type of love. But the Apostle Paul keeps going and explaining it. As he's saying agape over and over and over and over again, he wants to get to the level. Like, don't, don't just stop because all of you have heard the, the word love over and over again. So he uses a different word a word that's reserved in biblical language, like it's reserved agape, but he also wants to get down even deeper than that. It's a love that exists regardless of the changing circumstances. Lewis recognizes that selfless love, this type of love that's unconditional, is the greatest of the four loves. He highlights it and talks about it more than any other. It doesn't it doesn't fade due to lack of reciprocation. In other words, it's a love that is not sustained by the recipient of the love. In other words, my love, if, I'm, if I've got a, an agape love, their reaction to me loving them is not what continues the love. In other words, that love is sustained somewhere else. It's not sustained in this mutual love between two people like I love you and you love me. We're going to continue to love and the love grows. No, the love is coming and has a, has a root and a basis somewhere other. In other words, I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm going to, to, to love you and care for you despite how you treat me, despite what you do, despite what you look like, despite what you can accomplish for me. None of those things matter. It's an unconditional, there's no condition attached to it. A love without condition. We, we often throw out the word unconditional love, but that is a crazy, can we, any of us say that? A love without condition. You know, I was watching Last Chance U last night. I don't know if anybody's a, a fan of Last Chance U. There's a little bit of profanity in it, so don't email me. Um, it's in there. But it is, it's, a, it's a fascinating um, kind of documentary driven show about, you know, guys that are, you know, maybe were division one athletes that, that blew it, prop 48 with grades or whatever, for whatever reason, they just ended up at the, one of these community colleges. They did some seasons on football. They were doing the last couple on basketball. And there was a conversation between the coach and the coach loves his players. Like 
he has a, 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 an interest, probably more of a storge type of love, but he has a, an interest in them doing well. He really cares. He's in the position because he wants them to get back on their feet. It's their last chance to ever, you know, get out, bounce off the bottom and, and maybe possibly make it, uh, you know, and back to a division one school and possibly, you know, to the NBA. And there was a, a guy that was talking to him in his office and he was kind of working through his grades and helping him out, you know, actions of love as a coach, you know, helping him deal with his grades. And this particular guy has been killing it. And I mean, some of the other players on the team, the, the team hadn't been doing awesome, but he's been just amazing and um, had been with the coach for a while, the longest of anybody on the team. And he had no dad. And he was standing behind the coach. And I just noticed it was kind of a, a scene that you could get past very quickly. Um, but I just thought about it. And he's standing back there and he says repeatedly to the coach, as he's face forward and he's standing behind him, having him look at his grades, he says, are you proud of me? And the coach is looking up at him kind of with a kind of a grin. And this is not a coach that says that. He wants to wait and withhold it to see how they perform, to see how they grind. He doesn't give away compliments because he's like, I want them to work for those things. And he just kept saying it, are you proud of me? Are you proud of me? And you could feel the desperation in his voice because he's, he's, he's this amazing athlete that never had a father and was so desperate to just hear, hear somebody that he cares about and he respects, that he looks up to, look him in the eyes and say, I'm proud of what you've accomplished. I'm proud of who you are. I'm proud of you. But the coach was like, he said, you know I can't give you that. He says, wait till the end of the season. Wait till you hold your diploma. Wait till you have these things. And it was a sweet moment, it was. It's what, the way that we look at love on the human level. But that's not agape. That is not what Jesus brings. And when I think about who he is and what he's done for you and me, I'm like, Jesus. Jesus is the one sitting in the chair that responds and says, of course I'm proud of you. And it has nothing to do with anything that you've accomplished. The moment you walked in the door, before you stepped on the court, before you shot one basketball, I looked at you and I had love in my heart for you, an explosive type of love. And for me, that blows me away. How do I, how do I even think about that? How do I even comprehend that? And this is the power of, of our faith. The Trinity. I mean, y'all are probably like, man, I did not come to a church Christmassy service to hear about Trinitarian theology. But it is, it's the reason the Trinity matters is this. This is the reason it matters. We, we, we often ask that question, well, I don't need to know about the Trinity. It doesn't matter. It's kind of confusing. And it is. You know, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the beauty of the Trinity is that there's a, there was community before the, the world existed, before everything was breathed out into creation, before you and I existed, before human beings were here, before the planet Earth was here, there was a community. There was a, a serving, humble community of equal love, all unconditional amongst the Trinity, amongst this community, one God and three persons, this one thing. It was a sustaining love, a love that didn't need anything else. So, we were not created because God needed love. God needed worship. We were created because of the outpouring and the overflow of the love in the Trinity. Now, here's where it really gets good. Because Jesus didn't 
descend, to become nothing, to become a servant, to pour out His blood for you and for me on a cross for any other reason than love. It wasn't that He needed something back from us. He is the only one. We have no capacity for unconditional love. Do you know why? Because we were, God created us with this, this huge gap, the eternity that's set in the hearts of men and women that King Solomon talks about is the lack of unconditional love. We don't have it. Separation from God, unconditional love, not accessible anymore. Our sin broke us, broke the chain, broke the connection of unconditional love. We, we can't create it, we can't extend it. The reason that we can't enter into, every time we come together and I've done many weddings, I can't tell them that you're gonna do, you're, you're gonna crush these vows. I'm gonna look at, probably have a conversation with them before in, a, in my office over here saying, you're gonna, you're gonna do terrible at a lot of these. Do you know why? Because you're gonna be, you're gonna come into it and say, but you're gonna have the record of wrongs. You're gonna have the list of things. You're gonna do things out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. You're gonna have things you, because you are so desperate to be loved. You're going to want them to love you. You are going to need something from them. Jesus came needing nothing. He needed nothing, self-sustaining community, but yet he still came to give unconditional love. And I, when I think about communion, that reframes it in a way that I can't even, I can't even think or imagine. I love that we're doing communion today because when I think about Jesus sitting with his friends, he had been in glory. He had been seated on a throne. He had been experiencing things that you and I can't possibly imagine as the king of the universe, the things he was exposed to, the things that he was able to do. And then all of a sudden he takes on our humanness and he's sitting before his friends. Think about the mental, what, what's going on in the mind of him trying to express to them how much he loves them. And they can't even comprehend. We don't even comprehend. When we see him face to face, I guarantee you the first thing that we will do will be fall on our face, but tears will flow out of our, just completely. We will all be Dave Sarmax in the moment. It, you won't be able to contain it because you will know you will be loved in a way. You'll realize that he is the gap filler. He is the one, he is the eternity that all of us need. His name is Jesus. And this is the table where he comes to his, his friends and he, he's trying to tell them, I'm not doing this because I have to. I'm not doing this because I want something back. I'm doing this because I love you. He says, he, he takes the bread and they were familiar with the process, but then he changes. He says, this is my, my body broken for you. I want you to know that I love you. And the closer you get to me, the more you'll have the ability to do what the Apostle Paul says. He says, the formula is not that you do these things. The formula is your proximity to me. He's like, this is, this is my body broken for you. You wanna know how powerful 
this love is and the picture that you can have in your mind for all of eternity, wondering if somebody loves you. He says, this is my blood. It's a new covenant in my blood. There used to be this system and none of you were good enough to even walk to, into the inner court. None of you. Most of the time you were in the outer court. Most of the time you were outside the temple. That system, that system has passed away and now there is a savior. There's this, there's a new covenant in my blood. Every time you drink of this cup, every time you eat this bread, don't forget. Because the more that you remember, the more that you get within my proximity, the more that you commune with me, the more that you are with me, the more that you realize that I'll never leave you or forsake you, you will have the confidence, you will have the love, you will be able to walk into a room and give yourself away with security, not wondering if something's gonna embarrass you, not wondering if you're gonna be so vulnerable. I love them, I gave them compliments, I told them how amazing that they were, and I got nothing in return for you. It doesn't matter because you've gotten everything and Jesus has put it on display on this table to say, we will need for nothing when it comes to love. And love is everything that you need. So as we do communion, I, I want us to just have in our, in our mind the satisfaction of what it means to be in relationship with Jesus and how powerful it is, because it's what the Apostle Paul was trying to display to the church at Corinth and what God is using his word to display to us this morning. So as the servers come forward, if you guys would come forward, we're gonna do communion together. I love this. And they're gonna walk you through it. It's very simple. If you don't, if, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus and this is like, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't made the decision to follow Jesus yet, don't take communion. And not because I'm like keeping you away from it. I just, there's, there's no reason for you to feel obligated to do that. And the way that we do it, nobody's really looking at you going, woo, they didn't get up out of their chair and go take communion. Nobody's looking. And the apostle Paul says, look, this, is a, this table is for the follower of Jesus to remind them. And we take, it, we take it seriously. It brings us closer to Jesus and our relationship with him because our mind is reframed by remembering what he's done for us. So if you're, if you're not, a, but if you, if God has led you in the last week, in the last month, in the last five months, and you've never taken communion and you believe in Jesus, you, you believe that he died on the cross for your sins. You believe that he saves and, and nothing else does, that you've chased after a bunch of other stuff. And now you've come to the conclusion that yes, Jesus is all that I need. Jesus is what I need to be close to. And I believe everything about what his word says about him. Then you're a follower of Jesus. And this table is for you. And that's why I say it's, it's totally inclusive, this table. There's, it's by one way though. If you believe in a bunch of other stuff, and no, one way by Jesus. So I'm gonna pray. Let's remember together. This is a, a time where we're even beginning to worship together um, in our hearts before we take communion. So God, I, I just thank you. You are the only one that could create a, a sermon illustration like this. So simple, but so meaningful, so full of your spirit, so full of your wisdom. God, lead us always, always, always to your love. In Jesus' name.